Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, Guy, Nick Mason's source full of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Uh, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source full of secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972, with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never yeah. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. Was he, was he, <laughs> Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Source Full of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. This week's episode of Rock on Tours was recorded before the passing of Ronnie Spector. Uh, hello, Gary. Hello, Guy. A little bit envious of this one because we're about to speak to someone who's on an American tour. I know, I know. They're, they're about to start their American tour in January and we just cancelled ours, which had nothing to do with postponed, us personally. Postponed, 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 postponed. It had nothing to do with us personally. This was a call from the promoter in America who, who felt that we were too much of a risk given... Omicron uh, and, uh, and and, and just the general un- unhygienic nature of the band, I think. <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, and so it, it was, yeah, we're quite sad about it, obviously, because and and and, and, sad, yeah. and envious that these guys are going to go out. So this is we've got Andy Bell on today from Erasure. I mean, they had a period, they had a run in the late eighties, early nineties, where I think they had something like four or five number one consecutive albums. You know, I mean, they've sold a lot of records, haven't they? I think I think the Innocents has sold something like five million records worldwide. I mean, it's it's huge. Yeah, no, they've 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 sold their total is something huge. I, I haven't got the stats in front of me. And, and um, Andy has has written every song with Vince. Yeah, Clark. St- yes, starting from day one. Yeah, which I, there's a very funny story about the first one, which I hopefully will get out of him. Look forward to that. So bring him on. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. This was great, guys. I, I, it's so great to talk to two guys that have done this. Well, it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. I know you're musicians, but you've been more professional than a lot of journalists. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hey, Andy. Hello, Andy. I'm Guy. Are you in Miami? I'm in Miami, yeah. Ooh. Our show starts in two weeks. We're obviously incredibly jealous of that because we've literally just cancelled our American tour, which was starting in really? two weeks. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. ours is kind of... I mean, we've... I mean, my sister was supposed to come, so we, and we cancelled her, but, you know, the show's... Well, it, supposedly it's the first show on the, at the Fillmore this time, and we're just hoping that, uh, you know, that it all turns out because we i mean we've cancelled three times now this is our third time here yeah, so well. you know third time lucky but we just, <laughs> we just have to see how it goes i mean on the last uk leg we we all got covid on the very last oh, show after the show. so that was that was really lucky because you know? there was a party post gig party yeah. right there wasn't no post gig party no it is really strange you know it's kind of like i mean I wouldn't say it's like being in prison because that's really bad, but the it, it's um I mean being on the bus and stuff. I was just saying to Steve, I really like it being on the bus because you're kind of 
in your coffin sleeping and then um what's weird is when you don't have meet in greece and when you're not seeing people after the show all there is is the show and that's it yeah and it's kind of like yeah. your whole concentration yeah. goes to that and it's like and it's you know and i quite like that i really like that I mean, we're feeling, I'm feeling slightly sort of red-faced as well, you know, as, yeah. as being jealous, because obviously we've had to cancel our tour. And I, I hope people out, out postpone, there... Who, postpone, you know, postpone, postpone as well. Oh, postpone. postpone. Because, yeah. you know, I, I don't know whether you know, Andy, but Guy and I play with Nick Mason and we, we do the Nick oh, right, Mason yeah. uh, uh, Secrets tour. Um, and this has been pushed into, this is January now, and, and, and it's been pushed into sometime in the near future, we hope. But right. um, uh, it was just, you know, the, the promoter... Anyone listening out there is a little bit, but well, I'll come there doing it. We're not, you know, the promoter yeah. in the States didn't want to continue with it, with it in January, February. He just thought it was yeah. too risky that we weren't going to, one of us wouldn't get it, let all the crew wouldn't get it. And then, and yeah. then 10 days in a hotel room and the, and the tour goes bust. But also I mean, how, is how big is your tour and what sort of size places are you playing? Uh, we kind of play from about, well, I mean, Maybe two five, nights, two nights 500 to five thousand. Oh, twenty five hundred oh, right, to five thousand. Right. Yeah, you're doing but, two nights at Radio City, aren't you, in New York? Yeah. yeah. Oh, fabulous! But, uh, Love Radio it, City. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I mean, it is though really dicey, as you say, you know, and, and, and it's the third time that the tickets have been on sale. Well, then they haven't been on sale. This is the first time they've been on sale, and they've been bought. So that's why we. We're having to do the. Job. Everyone's working with the Rolling Stones health and safety protocol, aren't they? <laughs> Are they? Oh, yeah, that's oh, the official goodness. one. I mean, it's brilliant. We, we well, now, I'm glad. I'm glad. We live in a yeah. world that is so topsy turvy that the Rolling Stones have yeah. become the absolute yardstick of public health and social responsibility. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. That's great, though. They, um, I'm glad they're there because you know, because it, it, it is quite depressing. I hate, you know, don't like to go on about it, but when you're thinking about the stuff, you know, and um, yeah. I don't know. And your yeah. music, your music especially, isn't about people sitting in, in, in their seats, yeah. is it? It's always not at all. a club show. Not at all, yeah. It's a, it, a, a I mean, people, people stand up anyway, you know, and I can't, to, to be honest, I can't quite believe that, that, that we've done it so far, that we've done the first third of it, wow. you know. I mean, And we have to say congratulations, you know, The Neon, your, your, your yes. new album. You know, that's kind of put you back up there. I mean, unbelievable. Oh. All these years, you know, top five hit in the UK. and Yeah, we love doing it. We love recording it. We've kind of, we've always been recording the whole time, Vince and I, you know, and you kind of, as lots of bands, you fall off the radar, you know, and people think you're, that you're not working anymore and stuff. But, you know, we've, we've kind of been working the whole time. And this was our, our maybe 19th album, studio album. Yeah. How does it work so with you, you and Vince? Because isn't he? He's yeah. isn't he's in Brooklyn, isn't he? Or, or he what? Or is he? Yeah, he's in Brooklyn, and as I say, my partner here, he's in Miami. So we we uh, go backs and forwards, and usually when I'm here, I'll just pop down to New York and see Vince. You know, it's a good excuse to go down there, and then or he'll come down here, yeah. and we write either remotely or we go and. You know, Vince is writing um, kind of demos really in his studio, and then I'll go and grab the mic in the studio and start warping over the top of it. Just, you know, doing, I don't know, I suppose it's toasting, really. Yeah, does he always have something he started with? Because I heard, I'm sure I read him say once that he, he actually writes everything on acoustic guitar. He swaps. He, he does, he, he writes on, on guitar and piano. But I like him writing on synth, you see. So I, because yeah. I like, because I like, like my dance stuff so much and the electro stuff so much. I said to Vince, I, you know, I want to, I want to be buried to an eighth bass line when they carry my coffee <laughs> thing, you know. But um, yeah, because I, I, I can so sort I, of tell which ones he writes quite often. Oh, you can tell. I bet. Uh, I think so. You know, I mean, yeah. things like. I'd, I'd like to think like something Blue Savannah was not just written on a synth, you know that it just feels much more. Yeah, I, to be honest, I can't remember what Blue Savannah was written on. It was it, but it was. I mean, that was kind of our O2 Roy Orbison. Yeah, you know, and I did, I did. Um, I mean, people. I mean, our first co-write proper was sometimes the song. You know, that was in uh, right. 87. Let's, let's, and, uh, let's get to that in a bit because I'm yeah, okay, jumping yeah. back just a bit too far. I just wanted to talk just a little. I, I wondered why you think the neon is after all. You know, you've released a lot of albums, and then suddenly, 
you know, and yeah. maybe they're just sort of floating around and they're doing okay. But then the neon suddenly, yeah. what is it about that album? I think because we, uh, thankfully, you know, there's, there's a resurgence in vinyl now, but I, I think people always wanted hard copy from us. But with uh, neon, it just really, really reminded me of, of, or I reminded myself of being a teenager and going to the record shop and, you know, wanting to buy that record of like just, just kind of try, putting myself in that headspace of uh, the bands that I was into then, like like B-52s and Talking Heads and, you know, going out and buying Lena Lovitch and they were all from Andy's Records in Peaceborough and they're all printed in, in Portugal and they weren't very good copies, but, you know, you kind of uh, got me really into music and... Yeah. Uh, we just wanted to, well, we wanted to just recreate that feeling of buying a single. That's, yeah. that's one that we all come back to, isn't it? The one thing that's gone, it, that absolute thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, going I, to buy I, a record you know, and it, the, the excitement. Definitely. When you're in a, sorry, when you're in a band, I think you, you, not that you lose your way, but you kind of like, you kind of um, carry on as normal, don't you? And you, and I think sometimes you lose the essence of why you were doing it in the first place. Yeah, because it becomes your job. I heard you say somewhere something about there was something about the imagery of Neon that was quite important to you as well. Yeah, as to why why it became the Neon album. Well, that was only that, that's only like an aesthetic thing where right. where um, I love when you go to these cities and they have like the really the old part of the city which used to be where the downtown was, where you get the the bars and clubs and places after hours, you know. I love just like when you have a stone wall, an ancient stone wall, and then a neon sign on top of the stone wall, but kind of with, but with these sort of muted soft colours. And I, because to me that's kind of like uh, time travelling. You've got two thing, uh, two things that s- should work against each other, but they don't. They create kind of like a beauty in themselves, and and you can get in, up to all sorts of nonsense when you once you get past the sign. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. It's um, one, of the, one of the greatest sort of tropes of all time of movies and everything is is just even just the reflection of yeah. the flashing neon sign outside yeah. the CD hotel room. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, I, I wonder if this this success has also been down to the fact there's a lot of bands and artists coming around now that where electro pop is happening again and and are referencing you as their big influence. I mean, I'm thinking about years and years, and obviously, you know, I mean, there's a lot of synth pop artists out there. And and Erasure yeah. seems to be a touchstone. Yeah, it's kind of it's funny because I, I feel like we're always the quietest band, even though we make the loudest, some of the loudest music or the or the most bombastic um, electronic music. I think we're one of the most quietest bands because we've because we're on mute for one, uh, you know, an independent label. Not because you're actually on mute, so no one can hear you. No, not because <laughs> they, they were on guys, they were on mute before Zoom, right? <laughs> All the time, yeah, 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 yeah. But you, um, so you don't necessarily have like a huge amount of. Um, Guys, sorry, you know, I need to say it's there. It's your label, right? I just think that's our label, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just for our listeners. It's our yeah. label, Daniel Mel, yeah. So you don't have you. You don't. Have, we don't have like massive publicists or anything like that, or big. You know, it's all changed. You know, and that changed in uh, with the Spice Girls. I have to say, like the whole industry changed. But, oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. 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 I think it did. You know, we were we were asked in 1995. We had our first kind of experimental album, I suppose, which was called Erasure. And they said, would you put a scratch card on your single? And we said, no. But I'm not saying that's the whole reason why. <laughs> but it kind of... Um, what was you know, scratch? Is it scratch and sniff? I, I think you, <laughs> no, like for a lottery card, you know, like a lottery oh, card. So, and, so that, that, and that was to get your single in Woolworths or wherever oh, it was. I see what you're saying. So we just said no, but it was, but I think... That's the sort of thing, that's the sort of thing when of, New Order would have said yes and it would have cost them five million pounds because yeah, they got the sums wrong. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because like when you're in a band, you like, um, you either, you know, you go the whole hog and put your face on everything or you just kind of be sensible and do the T-shirts when you're doing a tour. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. I, I wonder about you being... Quiet. And let me let me just oh, right. pick up, pick up on that. This is this might be a little difficult for me to express and, and not yeah. trip up. But um, yeah. but okay, Vince is quiet. We all know Vince is quiet. Yeah, he's quite. He's, he's probably hardly speaks to you, does he? I mean, no. I mean that's his image. Right? That's his, that's his it's image. true. No, it's true. <laughs> that's his image. Was it harder being gay? Was it harder for you? Yeah. In the beginning, and certainly back in those days when it it wasn't as 
seen, you know, boy, yeah. George got away with it because he was just like, you know, he was super arch. But where, yeah. you, where you're not quite sure how to promote yourself to an audience that is mostly yeah. coming out of the 80s and, and 90s, either laddish in, in, in yeah. Brit pop or, or a girl audience, you know, a female yeah. audience and smash hits wanting you to appeal to them. Did you find that that was a tricky road for you to try? Um, I don't know. It's quite, I mean, you know, you, you did sort of feel like you were, you were a kind of a trailblazer, but it was quite political for a while, mm. you know, right in the middle of the, or right at the end of the 80s, I suppose, when you had bands like the Communards and Frankie Goes to mm-hmm. Hollywood. We, we, it felt like we were kind of together. I felt like I was with Jimmy and we were kind of going round together yeah. and like doing things for Stonewall and you know, act up and stuff like that, which were very, which was quite political at the time, you know. But at the same time, we had our pop careers on the on the other side, you know. So it was kind of like uh, I don't know. There was a lot of friction between Jimmy's fans and our fa- and our fans oh, as well. That's because, interesting. Yeah, because I was kind of seen. I think I was seen as the lesser, uh, the lesser political version. You know what I mean? Like the softer pop version, I suppose. No, Bronski uh, beat had already it, happened long before you before you. Yeah, Bronski beat, and that was happened, they were the yeah. absolute standard bearers, weren't they? I mean, that was amazing. That was really amazing, yeah. you know. And and Sylvester as well. That we we'd had Sylvester yeah. before. That people not not that many people had heard of him, but you know, um, of course I had. You know, yeah. You kind of went on. I don't know. You 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 sort of felt like you were making a big, huge difference in the world. But then, as you grow older, you kind of like. I suppose that dissipates a bit. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, it was a harder time, certainly if you were yeah if you were out uh, at that period. Yeah, not you like did, now. I, I, yeah, I think I don't. I think I don't sort of think about it so much. You know, you, you don't. Um, I think I don't realise uh, maybe opportunities that we didn't have because we was had put ourselves in that position. Yeah, the thing is, you. I mean, what you're saying is remembering how political it was. And if you think that during the eighties. Like George and Elton were still not out, you know. At all. No, it wasn't. You know, no, you know, the you, world, you, the world. You, which, to, to you explain that yeah. to kids, kids today would find that really baffling. No, you know. Yeah, it was kind of like a really fine line that you had to tread at that time, yes. you know, because you couldn't offend people. You couldn't offend people for not being out, and then at the same time, you were out, and you didn't want to be a bitch and all this stuff, you know. So it was. It was. Um, uh, was it a conversation that you and Vince would have had at some point when you when because I mean uh, you audition for the band he he chooses you yeah. we, we could tell that story in a bit I'm sure but yeah was it a well, conversation I mean, that he didn't you know, mind how you promoted yourself not at all no he he Vince thought it was totally cool he yeah. honestly he, he thought it was totally cool and I was I was I really wanted to work with Vince out of all the people in the music business you know then I mean I was a complete unknown. And um, and I thought, oh, who's the coolest person in the music business? And I thought it's Vince Clark because he's because to me he was the most left field person, you know. Yeah. And and I've been proved right, which is which is um, sometimes to your own detriment, you know. But uh, uh, Vince, uh, is a, Vince is a genius. Uh, yeah. He's he's incredible. He's incredible. But he's not going to do one thing that is like out of his comfort zone, you know. But what was so I think it's quite nice. A, yeah, is another thing that you so, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, Andy. I'm really sorry. It's all right. Um, it's, it's just that what I thought was really nice was that rather than you deciding kind of on an agenda, it's that your thing yeah. was you just didn't lie when you were asked questions in interviews. That was it, exactly. You know, which yeah, is, that was yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I didn't realize how cool Vince was either. You know, I kind of, I, I, I thought I knew he was cool, but then we were, when we first started working in the studio, it was like, they did everything to accommodate me and kind of make me feel comfortable because I was so shy. I was like, you know, uh, I wouldn't say a word to anyone, but, and then they said they, they thought that I might be gay because I had the, all these boys coming to the studio to visit me. because I was basically showing off to them, you know, <laughs> but then we, um, you know, I, I was uh, singing Oda Moore and couldn't, couldn't, reached the end, the last note of the chorus and stuff, or the beginning, and and it just took me back to my uh, days being in the choir at school and not being able to reach the end of the line and just looking down and twiddling your shorts kind of thing, you know. So they 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 were experimenting and had me flood, had me laid down on my back on the floor to like so my chest was open, you know, and your and your your voice was open, yeah. you know, and they were trying, they were telling me these jokes and trying to make me laugh, and I thought, God, I must have been a right miserable soul. Did your you chest know. open? It did open, yeah, <laughs> it opened. And then um, I only came up 
Vince has written all these songs. Honestly, he's got these writs of songs. And he um, he had this song and he didn't have a title for it. And I just said, oh, how about Ola Moore? And then he gave me 50% of the writing just for coming up with that one word. And then I just thought, well, two words. And I thought, like, what what is this guy like? You know? Yeah. So were you really thinking this is brilliant? I'm only ever going to have to come up with two words for no. every song. <laughs> no. no. I mean, he, you know, he was amazing. If I come up with four, do I get the whole song? <laughs> <laughs> no, our, uh, you know, our, it wasn't easy, you know, in the beginning. I thought it was going to be, oh, it's Vince Clark, who's, you know, he's a genius and uh, was a huge Yuzu fan. And, uh, and that's, where, that's where, where I practiced along to with my own singing. So I picked up Alison's intonations in her voice. Yeah, you, know, you can hear that on the yeah, early yeah. track. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so it was all in there. So it's like, Critics in the beginning were like, oh, well, he's just the, just this second-rate Alison Moyer. And da, da, da. So it took me a while to find my own character, my own, you know, who I was. And Vince was, and Vince just stood by me. And he, you know, our, the, the first album was a flop. And then, you know, they could have just dropped me easily. And he said, no, we'll just start again and go get in the van and go around and play in the clubs. You know, and he really wanted to have a band from scratch. I'm just wondering if we should, if we should run with this, because that's like the live thing I want to talk about. But uh, or th- this yeah. is probably the chance to, yeah. to jump right back. Let's go right back. Shall we go right back? Yeah. Gary, uh, I, just, right back? Uh, I do, but I right. just really want to also give a little bit of Vince's story, really, because uh, yeah. people who aren't really... Before you actually enter the world, as it were. Yeah, I mean, you probably know him more, uh, Gary, than I do. Well, well I, you know, I love to give people's backstories when it involves me. Or, yeah. And uh, it did really involve me, but I did see this young Vince once before he got signed. In, in I think, 19... We must have just played Top of the Pops with To Cut Long Story Short, and we heard that there was this other new romantic club down in... Rayleigh on Baz, Baz, near Basildon, Basildon, Basildon yeah, and, and it, it, yeah. it's called Crocs. Crocs, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we and we went down there to see a band called Soft Cell, who were managed by Stevo, and and we walked into this room, and and uh, and Stevo just came. I remember him coming over to Steve Dagger, our manager, and falling on his knees, and say, "Please, please, can we support you?" And he was managing Soft Cell, and but Soft Cell that night were supported by Depeche Mode. Yeah, yeah. So, they were. We're, we're, and that's, and we, I remember watching them very clearly and, and Vince's face, you know, which is, you know, fairly unique, you know, it, it stuck in my mind. Um, but Vince obviously went on to write those early hits for Depeche Mode and um, and then left the band as they were just about to become enormous and and and, and with, happened with Started Your Zoo, with Alison Moyer. She said, yeah. there was another band, wasn't there, that he... he, he, he uh, there was, uh, the associ- was-, was it the Association? Yeah, that's it. Oh, the assembly project. The assembly. That's what I said. That's what I said. The assembly project. That was going to be with like a, a multitude of singers, and then and that and that. Yeah, like a sort of out, B so. E F type thing, wasn't it? That was quite. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, like yeah. his soul yeah. to soul sort of thing, and then um and then I'm glad it didn't work out. Sorry. I bet you are. <laughs> so you're, you're you're a wee lad, right? You're a wee lad when, when in 1981 when I'm in Crocs. I mean, yeah, I was like 20 or 19. Yeah. So, so, so what was the music that you grew up on? Well, it's the same. It was you guys. It was with it was Soft Cell. Uh, I loved I liked Weirdos, so I kind of went for Nina Hagen and Lady Lovich, and as weird as I could get. Gina X. I mean, Gina X, yes, you know, um, but yeah, I kind of like, I had this thing because living in Peterborough, when straight guys started wearing makeup, sorry, <laughs> I just thought they shouldn't be allowed to wear it because they, because they weren't gay. <laughs> See, that was, my, that was my, um, my thinking when I was like 17 or 16 years old, which is, I know it's wrong now, but. At the time, I thought, you're not wearing it properly because you're not gay. My mum thought I was wearing it because I was gay. <laughs> but it's funny because the makeup thing is a generational thing. It goes it goes back to mods. I mean, it probably yeah. goes back to Ted's. It's, yeah. and it's, like, and it's almost like men in dresses. It's like every generation, yeah. this thing comes up again. And people go, oh, my God. It's like, mate, it's been happening for years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. I remember we were, you know, I used to go around these people's houses. And it's usually if they were in a band or something in Peaceborough, and then you know, I had my, I had my um my eyeliner on and stuff, and then went round there. And he goes, "Oh God, Andy, how do you get the 
get it so it's all so nice around your the edge of your eyes you know so it, it, i said oh you just smudge it before you go out <laughs> it was just these like little things that they didn't realize you know what were your first records though I mean, my mum and dad, they had records. So they had singles from like the 1950s, which I loved, which was like the Kaylin twins, lots of Elvis, uh, kind of mixed with country and Western stuff. So, and then... Um, Roy Orbison? Was there any Roy Orbison? Was yeah, the, definitely I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering Orbison. if that fed into yeah. Savannah. Yeah. Yeah, they had Skeeter Davis, Charlie Pride. Who else? You did a Buddy Holly cover, didn't you? We did, yeah. But, uh, I love Buddy Holly. I really love Buddy Holly, and the, the and I loved it that my dad, that my parents were fans as well because you know they were only teenagers when they met. So I, I mean that they were fans of pop music, you know. Right, so right. Uh, so then then I kind of my my favorite album of my parents was was Phil Spector's Greatest Hits. Uh-huh. So I got that uh, that was just imbued into me from really young, you know, and. Uh, I, and I, it was just that sound that I loved it. And there's that one, there's one track, "Walking in the Rain" by the Ronettes, which oh, I yeah, just yeah. can't. I mean, we did a terrible version of it, but <laughs> I just can't get it out of my skin. That song, you know, it just makes me get goosebumps, and every time when I hear it, but I, can, um, I can hear that euphoria that's in his songwriting. I can hear that in what you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it, that's what I'm waiting for still. You know, is uh, still trying to make that record. that crying. Yeah, just having that crying in. You know, it, it, it makes you feel like you haven't been hurt enough, which is wrong. <sighs> it's the wrong thing to say, you know, because you can't you can't wish that upon yourself. But you know, just for that for that heartache. Who wrote, who yeah, wrote but, that song? Who wrote that song? It would have been Phil, wouldn't it? Phil and Ronnie, Ron I, Ronnie suppose. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, for that's tragic as well. That story, not, not Ronnie, not even be able to even being able to sing her own songs for her whole career. Oh, I don't know that story. In that, in that, no. Yeah, she was, she was. She, she when she wasn't allowed by Phil, he, he oh, barred her. Yes, yes, yes. Ever. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So my first singles were. I mean, I do. I have to. I have to admit to Dancing Queen. I have to say that because that was <laughs> that was one that was on my ITT Combat Command radio that my nan had bought me. That you could do Morse codes. <laughs> so I, I and I had it hidden. Did you have to wear your Clark's Commandos to listen to that? <laughs> I didn't have any. No, I had my. I, I left. I left Cub Scouts on the day we got the uniform. So my mum was really pissed off with me. <laughs> but. Uh, I think it was about all about the uniform though. And then once you got it, that was it. But no, with the um, with the with Dancing Queen, whenever it came on the radio, I ran upstairs into my bedroom and opened the window and put it on full glass so the whole world could hear it. The song. Apart from that, um, yeah, my first album was was Lena Lovitch. Uh, That's very cool. With, with Say When on it. Say When. Yeah, and I love I love stiff records. Mm-hmm. And, and did you want to be a musician? Is, is that... Well, uh, to be honest, I kind of didn't think about it because I, I mean, I was very musical, but I didn't think about it. I mean, because I sang all the time, you know, and I kind of sang in bed and I would get told off. For singing you were in just, bed. During the choir? No, no. In my, it, yeah, when I was in school. Right. I, and and I'll be singing in bed and mum and dad would say, shut up, go to sleep, you know. But for, to me, that's a, a quite a good tip for singers or want to want to be singers is when you're in bed because you can feel your whole body and your ribcage and stuff while you're singing and you can feel that if you want that sadness in your voice you can feel the whereabouts to vibrate it kind of wow <laughs> anyway uh, that's, 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 uh, that's, that's obviously why i got you to lie on the floor later on when you were trying hey, yes yeah, yeah. That's, that's it that is all it all in fact i'm surprised they didn't, just, they didn't bring a bed into the studio for you <laughs> You know? <laughs> we're all just we're all just pipe organs, aren't we? Really, we're all just oh, pipe yeah. organs. I remember. Yeah, like, I remember when we did our first album, and, uh, and 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 Richard Burgess, James Burgess, who was um, James Burgess, was producing it, and uh, he didn't know what to do with Tony's voice because it was so big. And on yeah. one song, we wanted he wanted him to be a bit quieter, and uh, I remember he he set up, he got him to lay on the floor, and he put a, yeah. got one of the Turkish rugs from, <laughs> and he'd lay it over him like it on top of him, oh, put yeah. a microphone in there. And I don't think Tony's oh, ever really oh. forgiven Richard for doing that. <laughs> he thought it was rather humiliating, but he did get oh. the job. <laughs> no, that sounds quite sweet to me. That sounds sort of quite gentle and, you know, a nice way of doing it. 
Sean Ryder once did a Happy Mondays, but or he was at some studio at um, Oasis Studios, and he wouldn't. Uh, he was he came in wearing a crash helmet. He was quite paranoid for some reason, and he wouldn't take it oh. off and insisted on doing his vocals with a full face crash helmet on. Oh no! So they may must have been hitting him over the head then with something. <laughs> Is, is is there a moment of epiphany though before you decide to answer this melody maker ad that Vince had? Uh, is, is well, you were in a band. You were in a band, weren't you? You were in a band. I was. Yeah, the I was vo- in a band. The Void, I, I believe. Yeah, it was called The Void. It was a four-piece band. We had a drummer and a guitarist and a keyboardist, and we were, you know, one of those kind of garage bands. How would uh, you have found garage, yourself? But, Did you, was there a sort of big musical peer group you had? As, not at all I mean I tried to be in a band like twice in school and that never worked out and then uh, so you know I left Peterborough because it was too small to do to to be in a band you know so I moved to London and moved to London with this a group of uh, social workers and um, so I ended up kind of charging the house and stuff for them when they were doing their training and so they would come back and do tell me all their social work ills you know and um then i persuaded the bass player in the band to leave and form a duo a duo because we weren't doing anything and then uh we met a guy called pete gage who was a producer from vinegar joe oh yeah yes oh yeah yes with robert palmer and yes um, yeah yeah so we had probably yeah we we were with him for about a year and a half doing demos and things he paid for our studio time and then that didn't work out. So then I was looking in the paper and I saw this advert. But in the meantime, I'd been for another audition, which was for a spin-off Bow Wow Wow band. And when I saw Vince Clark in the studio in, in uh, Blackwing, which he, he half-owned oh. with Eric Rapp. And then I thought, oh, that's Vince Clark. Well, oh, maybe I should write him a letter. And then the next thing was, that was his advert in the paper. So I just thought, hmm... This is. Did you know it was Vince Clark? Huh? I'm always... I knew it was Vince Clark. Yeah, he, he, he was unmistakable. Yeah. No, no, no. Was... In, in no, the no, no. I mean, in the oh, in Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I didn't know it was Vince Clark. No, they they said they they said if they didn't find anybody on the weekend, they would call me back. So I didn't think I would hear back from them. So, but then they, when they called back, they said, "Do you know who Vince Clark is?" And I said, "Yeah." So you were a melody maker, man. I was a, I was an NME man. To be honest, I wasn't any of those well, music to, papers. To be no. honest, you, I just no, you, it. you bought Melody Maker when you were looking for the ads. You, you know, that, yeah, that's why I, I, I bought, you know, when yeah. I wanted to join a band, I bought Melody Maker. The rest yeah. of the time, I was NME. And what did it say? Yeah. Did it say Pink Floyd are looking for a bass player? Is that what it said? <laughs> <laughs> but you actually were looking at the ads, hoping that something would come up and change your life. I was, uh, and all it, all it, all the ad was, all the ad said was, Established songwriter looking for versatile singer, and that was it. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals, and other vital ingredients like gut friendly bacteria, antioxidants, and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health, and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. 
trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. So you made the call and did Vince Clark answer? Uh, no, I think Andy Mency answers. He was one of our first, to, first managers. But he answers and, uh, you know, I decided I was just going to go down to the studio, meet Vince Clark and have a really brilliant day that day and see what happens, you know. And I had a big, bright orange and yellow umbrella and went down there. And uh, Funny the things sat. you remember, isn't it? No. <laughs> no I, was, I, was, I was right at the end. I was the, I was the second the, and last person. Paint the picture. So, so yeah. uh, it's raining. Is it raining? Or you, yeah. just, carry, yeah. or, or you just carry a, a bright yellow and orange umbrella? Yeah. Where is it? Well, that was the only Eight one boats. there was, you know. I, 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 I mean, where I lived. I was really, really lucky when I was in London. London, London was who's been so good to me, you know. And I, I ended up living in this hard to let gay squats, which were the last ones in the in London. So I had, you know, I was getting my education then from like switchboard people who worked on switchboard, people who worked for shelter for the homeless association, and then you get to meet Vince Clark, and he's the person that you've been re- rehearsing along to all these records, and your flatmate said to you when you're rehearsing to an Alison Moyet record, this is going to be you in one year's time. Wow. You know, so then I went, then I go and see Vince, uh, <laughs> go to the studio. Uh, I, th- I think it was in Berwick Street. I'm not sure. But I go to the studio and then, um, and just, and sing Who Needs Love Like That. And I think it was One Day, which was the Paul Quinn's assembly song with Vince. But uh, and I'd never done falsetto. It never, I'd never done falsetto in my life. And it just sprang out of my mouth on that day. Onto who needs love like that, you know? And I was like, oh, oh. Did that-? was Vince playing live in the room or was it to a backing track and he was just standing? It was it was to backing track. But I mean, when you hear those backing tracks now, God knows how I even had an inkling of the song because there's like three lines on there. <laughs> just the bass, bit of guitar and that. That was basically it, you know. So, so you went home thinking, well, that's probably not going to work out, or did you think no? Then? Well, I think I had. Um, I didn't. I, I just cleared my mind. I hadn't to, had. A, I hadn't thought either way. You know, I just thought, well, that. Well, it doesn't matter if I don't get it. It doesn't matter. Just had a good time, and it was really funny because when I because when I do listen to the tracks now, I can hear in there. Buddy Holly and this and just this like really kind of like innocent. Um, I just don't know where I got the bollocks from to like go and do that. Do you know what I mean? When I when I hear my voice now, I was so like so convinced of my voice, and then and then when I hear it now, I just think like God, you must have been on Planet Janet or something. You know? <laughs> Is it out there? Can you, did it get released? It's there. Yeah, they had it. It's on some. Um, it was like on a buried treasure. CD or something, you know. Amazing. And had you actually, had you written songs at this point? I had written songs, but they weren't really songs. They were more like poems set to music, which I suppose that's what songs are. (laughs) But one of my first ones was, I mean, my auntie, she said I used to go around to her house and tell her all, tell her all poems, which I have no recollection of doing. Oh, God, um, there must be a book, there must be a notebook somewhere. I had written some down, but one was like um, pepper toothpaste, like toothpaste squashing from the tube. Come on, hurry up. White rabbit. Oh, dear, I'm going to be late. That kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would have been good in the 60s. Sid Barrett, yeah. (laughs) Sid Barrett, exactly. But but I think what guys guys trying to, you know, what he's saying is, you know, how how did you find your place? Because... Because you're writing immediately with Vince. Yeah, yeah, I know you yeah. said you chucked in those two words, but yeah. he wasn't just after someone who could be a voice for his songs, was he? No, I, I, I mean, it's really, I don't know. I think you have like a head for melody. You know, you, you, you like in school, it was kind of like, I love singing hymns in school. You know, we had, and, uh, and you know, because of Les Dawson, I, would, I used to sing them out really loud, off tune on purpose. In the school, you know, but like, but, but like, really badly off tune, you know, just so the notes, so it just sounds like you're can't that you can't sing for life, you know. But anyway, apart from that, 
was uh, I just sang all the time. It's like when you like going to the toilet, I would sing the bleach bottle. <laughs> but what was the first song you wrote together? The first song we wrote together that was proper that song. Was first, first, first song wrote was was contents may have settled during transit. <laughs> yeah, that was that one. Do not drink. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, do, do not drive. Yeah, that was heavy machinery. Yeah. Guy, that was the yeah, notice we, outside your bunk when we were in, on tour in the. Yeah, we wrote the, we, we, we wrote this we wrote the song sometimes uh, in King's Cross uh, above Rough Trade, and I remember I remember being with Vince and like seeing Morrissey downstairs, and he was doing a photo session, and I was like, I was going to Vince saying, "Oh my God, that's Morrissey's downstairs," and like. And then Daniel came over to like have a listen, see what we've been doing. And we and we um we just sort of finished the demo of sometimes, you know. And I think we, I mean then you kind of you you, you suggested bass lines, guitar lines, the trumpet solo, all kinds of things, you know. But we did we, once we'd done the ah, we um just pressed play, me and Vince, and left Daniel on his own with the song, and, and we went down to the pub. Because we were kind of, we felt it was that good. I think, well, I think you know the other thing is, is that this lyrically, there was, there was some of that. Those lyrics were a little risque for the time, and I wondered how they ever got played on Radio One. You know, when you think, you know, talking about you know having people in your bed and how that. Oh yeah, I, to be honest as well, I didn't think about it. I, honestly, I didn't. You know, I mean, we did we did songs that we that we knew probably would be singles like Hideaway, which was definitely about a guy coming out. To his family and stuff but then with the other songs I, I mean i always wanted as well with my voice i always wanted my voice not neither to be male nor female and also it it, it came from i suppose from being teased as well from being very young i thought i was a sex change experiment it's when i was a kid <laughs> you know the little you know the little line that you have around your ball sack i thought that was like a stitch a, a, Oh, God. <laughs> it kind of is because we're all women in the womb, aren't it's we? A, we're all girls. Amazing. It's a fair and point. That's last, it's a fair that's point. <laughs> I think that's the last bit that gets done when you when you turn into a boy. That's oh the last God. part. So you saw that? That's your stroke. Yeah, it's probably got a medical name. The guy would know it. I don't. <laughs> <But, laughs> why, why would I know it? <laughs> but you thought that? Oh my God! Someone has done that to yeah. me right? yeah do you know i remember i'd like listen uh, this is too much information i know but <laughs> no, i remember like, go, 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 go. i first started go. feeling my balls as a kid and wondering <laughs> what they were i yeah. assumed that they must be something to eat if you ever got trapped in the desert and then, oh, then he got trapped in the desert the next summer didn't <laughs> <laughs> did he <laughs> One, I think. Well, just one. Did, did, did Billy McKenzie ever come into your... Did you ever listen to the associates? He did, yeah. Only one uh, time. I mean, I mean, I love Billy. I loved his voice, you know, and, and he's... I, loved, he's I, one played on, I played on an associates record, in fact. Oh, my God. And then you he know, asked... I mean, that's... He wanted to borrow... I had this lovely Russian soldier's hat, rabbit fur soldier's hat, yeah. and he asked if he could borrow it yeah. for the video. And I yeah. said, yeah, of course, because yeah. he, you'd do anything for him. I let him borrow my hat. And, as a, and he bought me this lovely old collection of Chekhov plays as a thank you. Oh, my God. I know, what? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's more classy than anything I've ever done for you, Brian. <laughs> yeah, no. I've really got a lot of catching up to do. Oh. No, we, I mean, with Billy, though, I mean, there's, there are some people that you can't go near. And for me, Billy was one of them. I don't, I don't mean as a person, but his, because of his voice. Mm -hmm. His voice was so amazing. Mm. And so, like, I mean, it was operatic, his voice. And it, same with David McCalmont. You can't... Oh. I can't... Oh, you know, you you can't, Hang on a minute. Here we go. He played yeah, yeah. on a David McCalmont record. No, there. David's Thank a very, very, very dear family friend. So, you know. Well, I mean, you know, he's, what, he's a voice that you can't touch, you know? Yeah. When Bowie died, there was a thing at the Union Chapel that happened like five days afterwards. People got together who were sort of grieving to just play and talk about Bowie and stuff. And I went and played and talked a bit. But David McCalmont, if you can find it on YouTube, David McCalmont sings yeah. a version of Sweet Thing on there, which is like nothing you've ever heard. It's, it's just the most right. extraordinary yeah. version of that song ever. I love that Sweet Thing candidate, Sweet oh, Thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. Daniel Miller. Just want to yep. bring people up to speed about this guy because 
he, yeah. what he's done in music is extraordinary, isn't it? And yeah. I remember the first time I came I, 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 to hear of him was <clears throat> when he had that band, The Normal, back in 1978, and he started Mute Records. And it was a single that came up, so I have here, a Warm Leatherette, which he wrote, yeah. and which Grace Jones went on to cover. Mm-hmm. And also TVOD, which I think yeah. might have been the flip side of that as well. And they and going down to those sort of early, you know, the Blitz clubs and 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 Billy's and Rusty Egan as the DJ, yeah. you know, that was the real one of the main soundtracks that was always played. Yeah. And then he goes on to develop mute and depeche is signed and new guys. Yeah. And I mean, myriad of artists. I mean, I think he had Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds on there yeah. as well. I mean, he, what's he like? What's he like? Because you know the He's really been in charge I mean, of electro synth pop since since the late yeah. 70s. I mean, he's really he's really incredible. You know, I didn't realise how um, of what uh, like an amazing person he is. You know, and with as far as music goes, and um, and the whole setup, the whole music setup. You know, and the artists that that he signs. You know, we, I mean, you know, I only heard Diamanda Gallas through mute record you know because yeah. she hadn't she had an office there and loads of the bands i didn't get them you know because it, to me they were kind of so far out there Robin Gristle, I did, yeah you know that i didn't get them i i, I met them you know in the studio and i met the uh genesis Peorage, you know i was like yeah. wow hi how, how are you who are you you know like <laughs> shaking their hands and i'm stuff. the biggest so freak lovely to meet you, you know? <laughs> yeah and um but i i didn't realize which, what what kind of like um groundbreaking people that i was meeting you know and that were who, that they were all signed through mute you know and I, I, he, he keeps you know, it very well hidden yes and he's like um he's like he's in that way he's very much like vince i mean they're really close you know like gareth jones you know they they kind of um i don't know they have this affinity that's kind of, that's that's to do with music and to do with synths that's where i kind of get loose i get I'm not in the club because I'm not a synth person. I'm not a synth collector. But um, how um, I don't know. He's kind of kept this uh, enigma around him. You know, he is almost inapproachable. You know, and I don't think he's. He, oh. He's not that he does that on purpose. It's just that's what he's like. And not ready to retire. He's in his seventies now, isn't he? No, I don't think so. No, I mean, he's. You know, he DJs at Bergheim, for goodness' does sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Vince is really into his. Uh, uh, Vince is really into his um, analog, isn't he? Is a pre MIDI yeah. kind of keys, keyboards. Yeah, well. he yeah he loves it. You know, I I mean, I do. I really really appreciate it. You know, I love I love electronic music, but as you say, when you're sitting there and it's like eight hours or more on a, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's what they do. You know, that's what they do, and it's kind of and it's but, but I've had that with everything. And, and, and the thing is that, and they're working on the sound and there's something absolutely fundamental to them. And you just yes, can't it hear is. it. You can't it hear is. what no, it is no. that's happening. <laughs> I always want to know that point, you know, I want to know that point where that point is in their head or their body. <laughs> yeah. that, that when they say, when they say, this is it, this is the sound, you know, and I always, I always want, want to say to them, it was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> it was that one you know that sound you had 20, 20 minutes ago that sort of like sound that was it you know but you know, again, all part of their all part of the pleasure for them is is uh bending these it's the journey and twisting it's the journey, them around yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. They I, love think, it. I think but, that's what makes uh erasure work in a very special yeah, way because it's yeah. this paradox in a way where you've got you've got a the synthesizer with its, you know, whatever way you spin it, it has a cold automated yeah. feel to it. Yeah. And you've got your very emotive, you know, pulling on the heartstrings type melodies, though that, yeah. that, you know, almost Cole Porter at times. And that combination yeah. of the two is, is, is always working, you know, against each other in a good way, you know, fine. Yeah. And, and I think that's yeah. what people dig about. Oh, it's lovely. I kind of, uh, 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 you know, I'm waiting. I mean, we, we will do it one day, but it was like, I said, Vince said, what do you want for your 40th birthday? And I said, well, I would love to be able to come on stage in a music box and then like, you know, like Trumpton, and then you come up, <laughs> the character comes up and you're the character that, I'm the character that comes up out of the box. But when I come up, up out of the box, your synthesizer sounds 
they're all created out of laser beams and all the laser beams are going to be fired at the glitter ball and the glitter ball is going to... Uh, so you're kind of like one of those little... Um, it always re reminds me of a, of, a, of a music box with the little wheel going around and the comb on the wheel. On the wheel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah my mum had a ballet, a ballet dancer. No, she had a jewel box. Yeah. It up, and there was yeah. a little ballerina that went around and, and yeah. all of those little keys used to flick and play. Yeah, so that's what, that's what it kind of reminds me of, you know, when we're performing. And uh, I said to Vince, we should do a tour where we do a tour by steam engine. You know, and he just, he creates the plates for the steam engine, which they're all cut out. You know, the notes are cut out on these big cardboard pieces. And we just drive around the country and it will take us like 20 years to do this tour. <laughs> Brilliant. Because actually, because touring is what you, it, you know. But this is what I wanted to get onto, but it is because you had this first album and it didn't happen. And so then you just hit the road. And what interests me is you're yeah. a synth duo. And at this point, yeah. not not particularly successful with a budget or anything. So yeah. how do you hit the road? What does that entail? Uh, well, in the beginning, I mean, Vince programmed the lights. He programmed everything. You know, it was all on it. He, he had it. And it's just the two of you. Yeah, it was just the two of us and two singers. You know, it was, it was kind of... Um, you know, I was I was thinking, oh, I wish you wouldn't. I wish you wouldn't try and um, program the lights as well, because it's because it's everything's so kind of like what what you know clockwork kind of thing. And the BBC computers, they were almost clockwork. You know, so it was like that. It was like that ones and twos and just numbers going up and down and like. Oh, but he because I saw a thing right. of you live in '88, and he had the computer there. Yeah, I think it was quite reliable actually. The system was, but you know, if once you know, if one thing broke in the line, that was it, you were buggered. You know, we you're, had you're really famous. And what, and what, and what would happen? What would happen when that happened? Would it, if that did happen? Well, I mean, that, that that's why I started dressing up and stuff was because I knew because my personality wasn't big enough to to um your way through it carry a show yeah you know so i had you know in the beginning i was doing alison way impersonations which wasn't very nice you know but then doing um i don't know just starting to tell jokes and stuff like that i mean i'm rubbish at telling jokes you know so i just started developing this alter ego and kind of like um and banter with vince you know and uh kind of putting him down a bit on stage i suppose and just this sort of um not real conversation you know but we but we just get in hysterics we still do to this day but, you're, but do you come up with most of those ideas for the shows because well, you, do, you, 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 you you have to yeah it's like it's ad lib you have to you no know, i you, mean you, i mean the productions are they are oh the production they, yeah mostly most yeah, mostly yeah you know it's like i mean sometimes it's mostly in the beginning it's mine yeah but then you then it's you, you hand it over because you know, I don't know lot logistically how to make screw together. Is that the new tour? I saw a clip of the new shows because you went out last yeah. year, didn't you? And and the new lighting yeah. show looks amazing. Oh, it's, it is it is amazing. I mean, they I get blown away when I see it. You know, because you because you're in it, you don't see it. And then but then when you get to see it, photos and stuff, I thought, wow, they've got it. They've got it like it looks like Poirot with HG Wells. And how, sorry, I haven't seen the new tour. How, how big, a, do you have much of a band? I know, because you state like a drummer and singers Well, there's no band, there's no band, but there's six lorries for the production. So it's all, you know, I mean, Vince has, Vince has his synths to a minimum on the stage, you know. So it's, everything is programmed, but it's always freshly programmed each time. It's not like, you know, it's not like. I love that, I love just freshly programmed every day. But then look, there's a new band. Well, every <laughs> day. <laughs> Artisan yeah. programmed synths. <laughs> Sourdough profit. Yeah, it's a work in progress the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And we have our singers, we have the stage props, and that's it. But must say, actually, for, for, for the, in the current climate, that's that puts you at yeah. a real advantage. The less people you've got yes. in that core yeah, party, yeah, yeah. less people to manage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that, but that's true. And then yeah. I suppose you know, I suppose you were there was a, must have been an element at, at some stage when you and were in deep competition with the Pet Shop Boys. You know, they another you know, two piece, another doing electro, yeah, extravagant shows. I mean, was it sort of were you sending your spies out to see what they were doing? And well, not no, you were at a long all, time no, before then, though, weren't you? 
You were before them. Uh, I mean, I do the Pet Shop Boys. They, they resisted touring for a long time. Yeah, I do find it very difficult to talk about them because I, because I can't help to get jealous by them. <laughs> it's like me and Simon Le Bon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I always wish them the very best and stuff, you know. But we are a totally different creature from them. Yeah, we really are. You know. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I I, I get that. What what was even more different was and what which actually blew my mind because I have to tell you, Andy, I had no idea you made that record and that you went out and you did the live country album. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, Nashville. Yeah, yeah. That was great on the show. Road to Nashville. Road yeah. to Nashville, and you covered a lot of your stuff. I mean, I, I yeah. I mean, Blue Savannah is ridiculous. I mean, they're yeah. going straight out of Nashville. And yeah. How was that? So, yeah. so you got you enrolled a lot of, of country players, and why did you go yeah to do that? I mean, Vince Vince knew some people when he was living in Brooklyn. He knew he knew some people that were fresh out of Nashville that lived in Brooklyn as well. So, and they knew other people, you know, so we, we had this idea, well, I wanted to do a country album anyway. So, cause I've always loved it. And then, so we had this idea of getting some of our lesser known ballads and then turning them into country songs. And, uh, and that's what we did, you know, they had, uh, they were re- amazingly arranged for us. We played at Ryman's auditorium. To be an electronic band and to go and play there and have it filmed Amazing. is mind-blowing, yeah. And what did your fans think of it? Were they sort of, did they feel like you... Uh, well, it was the very first time that we played in Nashville. And I think we've only played there once ever since. So. I was going to say, so, what, so, what, 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 what did the country community think of it? Was there a thing of... St- uh, were you stepping on any toes what, there? I don't think so. I mean, they were very kind. You know, they are really kind and mm. very accommodating. Is, is and it, I was, and they, they, it really opened my eyes. It really did. You know, we... We love going to Nashville. Me and my partner, we love going there. Can I can I ask this this question? Is there is there a gay country scene? Is there a gay country artist? Uh, it seems I'm like sure such a macho is. business, doesn't it? I'm sure there is, but I, I'm not. I haven't been privy to it so far. It's not really the thing. I wouldn't have yeah. down there, is it? You know? I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say no. I'm sure they. I'm sure they know. I mean, it, you know, it's everywhere. You know, but your your voice was incredible on that record. I mean, it was. Oh, thank it, you. It seemed well, to slot into that so easily. You know, obviously, yeah. goes back to your mum and dad's record collection at some point. Yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, and then you, being the Katie Lang fan as well. You know, this oh, absolute torch and twang, amazing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, Andy, we 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 really. Uh, we're kind of jealous. We are that you're going out on this yeah. on tour. Oh well, I mean, I'm just hoping it's all going to be fine. Well, well you have to. Well, you know, yeah, of course it's, that, that's all you can do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we are in a bubble, and it will be very tight. And I mean, I, God bless the fans for coming, and I hope they can keep safe as well the whole time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on. Oh, thank you, guys. That's been really lovely us. talking to you. Yeah. Really nice. And, uh, what's, what's, uh, and, and have you got uh, some new material? Because you guys don't stop writing. We haven't, no. We just had our EP. Oh, we have got some new material, but it's still, it's kind of like um, bit parts from the neon that Vince, has, that Vince has taken and re-swirled into another project. You know what he's like. I am. Um, it's been a great pleasure to have you on. I mean, you know, I, I'm jealous of the fact that you yeah. just you just keep this band going and you keep making oh. music and you're still in the charts and you're you know oh. it hasn't stopped for for you. And that boy who walked into to that audition yeah. in yeah. Berwick Street or wherever it was couldn't. I bet you couldn't have believed that it would ever turn out as good as this. Well, Gary and Guy. I mean, that's the only thing that keeps me sane. To be honest, is oh. doing this. Oh, lovely to have you on. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you so much. Uh, for all the very, very best of the tour, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that was nice to see someone in nice, hot, sunny Miami, wasn't it? All right, for some. I know, but <laughs> listen, he's on an American tour. He's got to be wearing his Arctic expedition clothes no, within a couple that's of days, don't we? Yeah. And yeah. of course, you had all yours packed and ready. I, I So ready. Mate, I, was, I have been fretting, fretting for months over getting my packing ready. You would have I know it's going to be a marvel. And I'd Expedition spent weight. I'd spent a fortune at auction. I brought Shackleton's boots. <laughs> Scott of the Antarctic's diaries were coming with me. I was going to add to them, of course. I uh, had yeah. I've got Amundsen's lucky rabbit paw. <laughs> I wondered what you were stroking throughout that interview. 
and he was really nice. I really enjoyed that. Really Such nice. a nice, straightforward, down-to-earth guy. And uh, yeah. and I wish them luck with their tour. And obviously, if you haven't seen a glimpse of this new show, then 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 go on YouTube and have a look. It's w- worth it. So, and next week, there'll be some fun. Subscribe, leave reviews, and, you know, the usual. Yeah. And Happy New Year, I, I guess. I, mean, I don't know when, when this you see this, but um, it certainly is... It certainly will be in the year after the last one you heard, I expect, won't it? I don't know. I'm not in the year 2525. Exactly. If, if man, man is still man alive. Is still alive. Yeah. <laughs> and with that... <laughs> it's good night from her. And good night from them. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.